to me, like, you know, the, the reward outweighed the risk and it was a good idea. And eventually you just got to take to really create anything, you know, extraordinary, you have to take risk. And that's kind of my mindset on stuff is, you know, don't just, don't just, you know, kind of take risk unnecessary, but if you weigh out the risk reward and, you know, you kind of weigh out all this, all the options and it, and it makes sense, you know, you just, you have to take the risk. What's going on guys. This is the passive wealth strategy show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Brock Mogensen. Brock escaped the rat race, got out of the corporate world by investing in real estate over the course of three years. Three years, guys. And most people don't achieve that, okay? And today, we're getting into the actions he took, the psychology behind what he did and what he achieved, and what he had to do to make that happen. And maybe that's not your goal. Maybe you don't want to escape the rat race in as fast a manner as possible. Maybe you want to stay for your retirement, but you don't really want to put in the hustle and drive the 100 hours a week that it takes to escape in three years. Maybe you want 10 years, or maybe you're out there, you're saving for your kid's college fund or something along those lines. I think a lot of these lessons still apply to all of that because it's really about what it takes to be successful as a real estate investor. Even then, most people who want to escape the rat race as fast as possible don't do it in three years, okay? Really, most people who want to do it never do it. But even then, the people who ultimately do achieve that escape don't do it in three years. They might do it in five or seven, and it might take them a few different types of business ventures to ultimately achieve it. And today, we're talking to a guy who did it, who achieved it in three years, and we're getting into the psychology, the actions, the strategies that he employed to make that happen. I think there's a lot to be learned from Brock's story and experience and strategies and everything that he did to achieve it. Even if you don't want to pursue the same model that he did, that's fine. You don't need to. There are deeper lessons to be learned than the specific model that he used to escape the rat race. There are psychology, strategy, and other important lessons in there that I think are are deeper than the specific investing strategy that he used to do it, okay? And you'll see more what I mean when you listen to the episode. If you do enjoy the show and you're an Apple Podcast user, I ask that you take a quick second, go to the Apple Podcast app, leave us a rating or review, five stars if you don't mind. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'll be honest with you, that helps me feel good because I get to see that you guys are engaging with the content you're learning alongside all of the rest of us and investing, escaping the Wall Street, the the Wall Street casino alongside the rest of us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, I ask that you please share the show with them, bring them into the tribe and help them escape the Wall Street casino as well. If you're on your favorite podcast app, listening to this podcast, take a quick second, go to that app, type in the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday delivered straight to your mobile device. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I'm always looking to learn the deeper lessons from people who have achieved great things. We want to get past you know, the surface level. Oh, what strategy did you use? Oh, that's great. That's successful. But we want to go a couple steps beyond that and learn some of the metagame 
the mentality, the psychology, some of the deeper strategy that they used, not just the specific investments that they made or the way they made those investments. That's great. That's great to learn. But we want to go, uh, say, a step beyond that into their brain to learn about what makes this person tick. Is this person, how are they like me in certain ways? What can I learn from them? What did they do? Maybe some mistakes they made. I don't know. Maybe they're, they're willing to share that. I don't know. And all of those things are really what we're getting to today with Brock, who escaped the corporate world in three years through becoming a real estate investor. I learned a lot today, and I'm sure you will as well. Without any further ado, here we go with Brock Mogensen. Brock, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, it's been great talking with you, and uh, we've got a few important topics we're going to cover here today. But for our listeners who don't know about you and your business, can you tell us about what you do? Yeah. So I started in real estate about a little over three years ago. Started with a duplex house hack was the first thing I did. Um, really not having any, you know, live, very limited knowledge about real estate. It just kind of seemed like the right thing to do buy an investment property. So I did that, quickly realized, loved it. You know, loved, loved the idea of cash flow and real estate is everything about it. And from there, it was kind of the idea of which which direction do I go? You know, so started reading the books and listening to different podcasts and everything. You know, you quickly find out that you can you can flip houses, you can wholesale, you can buy single family homes. You know, there's a million different ways to go. And I kind of explored different avenues for you know a handful of months. Then ultimately came across this concept of uh, syndication, which was being able to go after these larger commercial deals and, and raise private equity to buy them. So that was the the path I kind of spent some time like researching and learning. And then the next step was I was I said, okay, well, I'm, I know I'm not gonna be able to do this all on my own. I don't really have you know the network to be able to raise all the money and all this. So let me just learn one piece of it and then see if I can kind of partner with other operators to to fill in the rest. And that's where I spent time learning a lot about analyzing deals. That was the specific part I, I spent a lot of time on is how to analyze a you know a real estate deal, specifically a syndicated real estate deal. Kind of got confident there, went out, networked um, through various platforms and connected with one partner that led to a connection with another partner. Us three came across our first 89-year department building and we closed on it, created our partnership, and then went on to do you know another five or six syndicated deals after that. So it's been been a, been a great journey so far and it's, it's, it's been awesome being able to, to scale up pretty quickly. That's awesome. And I think, you know, I think if I'm using the right phrase here, we don't want to bury the lead too much in that in that amount of time you became a full-time real estate investor which most people the vast majority of people do not achieve uh within that 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 amount of time or ever if they start investing in real estate so that's very impressive that you were able to make that happen thank you yeah it was so it was actually only uh, a few weeks ago that I was that I was able to leave and go full-time so I mean, yeah it took me probably since you know I started it was three years maybe two and a half three years of, of uh you know, r- running both and just lots of hours each week and, and you know, running both of them. But yeah, it was, it was nice to be able to finally walk away and have have more freedom now to, to really, really scale it up. That's awesome. But now, you know, you don't have to be, you're not on the clock from from eight to five every day. Your, your work day is theoretically as much as you want it to be, which could be for, you know, I'm sure you're an obsessed, obsessed with this business type of person. That could be 120 hours a week if you really wanted it to be. Some weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's a, honestly, this is not the direction that I expected to to take this interview, but I, I feel I have to ask, since most people don't achieve 
that goal. And not every, frankly, not everybody wants to hustle and leave their job in three years. Some people just want to prepare for retirement or be able to pay for their kids' college or whatever in a few years. And they may not, might not want to leave their job and that's fine. But for the folks out there who want to do that, I think there's obviously, maybe not obviously, something that sets people like you who have achieved that apart from those who want to get there, but say never get there. Do you, would you agree with that? And if so, what do you think that separation might be? Yeah, I mean, I think it probably really just comes down to if the person truly wants to put in the effort, to, you know, be their own, you know, rule maker. I think that's really what, you know, if, if entrepreneurship, if they really have the the bug to be an entrepreneur and go after I me, mean, yeah, it's going to take, you know, in, in most scenarios, it's going to take a lot of work to to be able to, to get to there and be able, be able to support, you know, your lifestyle through, you know, your own, your own income. So, yeah, I think it's ultimately just comes down to a lot of ambition and the person's goals in life. So, you know, a lot of people are very successful already at their at their job, and it you know really doesn't make sense for them for them to leave. So I think I think it's really scenario dependent and what the person's goals are um, is yeah definitely an interesting question. I think it, you see a lot of different um, scenarios of where, where how it plays out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have I speak with listeners all the time and we have a range, right? You might have someone who's getting fairly close to retirement and has a, a relatively sizable nest egg, but they're seeing that Wall Street doesn't really produce consistent income. It's kind of capital gains speculation in a certain way. And, you know, dividends are not particularly reliable. So they want to get into real estate, hedge some bets, things like that. Or you have folks who are a bit uh, younger and still want to have that trajectory toward retirement but they might not have the the capital to just go start acquiring assets and produce enough cash flow to to get them out of their job. So they have to make up for it in hustle and drive and and hard work and I just met you. I don't know you that well, but it sounds like you're more the you're more the latter, the guy that went out there and used the hustle to maybe, you know, account for some of that that difference. You can't just go buy you know, assets and, and live off the cash flow based on the the equity that you have to pump into it. Yep. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. That was definitely the latter was, uh, was the, was the way I went about it. Didn't really have the big, the big capital to start out with. It was more so a lot of sweat equity and build up and then eventually having capital put into deals, but it was, yeah, a lot, a lot of, uh, slow moving in the beginning. Yeah. So what do you, I mean, really, what do you think that means? I mean, a lot of people think, you know, they, they, work hard. I mean, everybody thinks they work hard at their job or at their investments, right? But there's some, I think there's something in there probably that you did. Was it partnering with your partners? Was it, I don't know, you have a meetup that we haven't talked about. I mean, is there something that separates what you've achieved from, I don't know, what other other folks are want, but haven't achieved? Yeah, I think the the partnership was huge. I was able to kind of just, you know, a little bit of luck, I guess, and right networking and right skill set brought me to a partner that's already that had a lot of experience already. So that definitely helped with scaling up quicker because that's, you know, going after these larger deals requires a lot of different experience levels, qualifying for the loans and everything. So that, that was a huge part of it was, was partnerships. I would hundred percent not have gotten where I am today without the right partnership. Uh, I think it's really hard to, to go at it alone. It's doable for sure. Um, but I think it, it, it's, it's tougher to go at it alone. Um, so I found that the partnership was, was huge to, to get there. Meetups also been big. I mean, we've, we've, we've drawn quite a bit of, you know, uh, deals, investors, several things through, through that meetup. Um, just a combination. I mean, really what I've learned and, and then this, I think this applies to a lot of different businesses, but I think in real estate specifically networking is probably like the biggest thing 
there is in real estate. I mean, it's all about connections and meeting the right, meeting the right banker, meeting the right, this person, this person's looking to sell a deal. You know, it's all about just getting out there and, and meeting people, whether that be through, you know, whatever, whatever means you do it by, but just talking to as much people as you can and building connections that lasting connections that are going to translate into, you know, longer term benefits. So, you know, it's interesting that you form this very, you know, successful partnership that, you know, has achieved some some great things and will uh, no doubt produce produce awesome things in the future, awesome results in the future. I think some of the implication of that that this partnership was successful is that you both or you know all of you, I don't know how many there are, bring different things to the table and you're kind of so to speak making up for for one another in in certain areas. Would you agree with that? And and if so, what does each person maybe bring to the table and uh, in addition to that, I don't want to tack too many questions on here. Did you know that going in, like, hey, I need to make up for X, Y, Z, or was it kind of, did you fall into it? Like, how deliberate was the whole thing? A lot of questions there. Yeah, no, I, that's a great question. I think I totally agree that the, I think the best partnerships are those that, you know, each person has a different skill set and they all kind of come together. Cause, you know, in any business, there's, there's going to be a lot of different pieces and having someone strong at one piece and someone strong at the other piece and just kind of combining skills will, create the best partnerships in my opinion. So for me, like I was saying, I'm more of an analytical person. So I spent a lot of more time on like analyzing deals, some of like the asset management stuff and tracking KPIs, like different things like that. I, at this point now, I mean, I think we all kind of interwoven in, in different parts of the business and, you know, we all kind of pitch in in all parts because we're learning more, you know, more about it, me specifically, but we still kind of have our own lanes. I think where we, where we thrive in my other two partners are very strong in sales. So obviously that translates well to, you know, the capital raising stuff and just different things, investor relations, stuff like that. So it's it's really been the dynamic has worked well. And I think if people that are going out and looking for partnerships, not not to say like, it's not going to work if two sales guys get together and and try doing it. But I think there is something to say about trying to like find a certain dynamic where um, one person has specific skill sets that you need and the other person has the other skill sets you need. And kind of combining forces can, I think, be pretty powerful. Mm, yeah. I think something that is very important in this discussion, particularly with our audience uh, that we have on this show, is knowing yourself and knowing whether going this route in the, you know, the the hustle and side gig until it's a your full-time gig, or whether you're you're really kind of meant to stay in your job and just invest on the side, do you have that, I guess, entrepreneurial spark or not is big. And and did you think you had that at the beginning? I mean, clearly you do because you did it, but how well did you, you know, know yourself when you first got started? Yeah, I think it really, I think like growing up, I always, you know, doing all you kind of always had like that entrepreneurial mindset. And I always kind of knew I wanted to start something. So it was always, I knew through college, I didn't really know what, what that was. Nothing ever really came to me of what I wanted to start. I never, I don't think I'm like a super creative person. So it's kind of like, I don't think I'm ever going to like invent anything or, or do anything cool like that. So it was always just kind of like, I got out, you know, I got out of college and started working somewhere. And the experience I got through that was huge. I think a lot of people downplay like the experience you get from working at, you know, a corporate job, I mean, or any sort of job, you just, you get, you get a ton of experience and in, in whatever capacity that is, that, that's going to always translate well into your own business. But I always knew I wanted to start something and it's kind of just, what was it? You know, there's a few years of just kind of like going down different avenues and then trying to figure out what, what that wanted to be ultimately ended on, you know, tried and true real estate. 
Um, and you know, it's nothing super innovative, you know, obviously trying to come up with innovative ways we, we do go about our business, but it's, uh, it's tried and true and it's, it's, it's been here for a long time and creates a lot of, uh, a lot of wealth. So I think it's a good business to be in. And that's kind of just where it's like, okay, this is the one I'm going to, I'm going to choose and went all in on it. Nice. So another thing I want to address here is the topic of fear in investing and, you went from house hacking a, a duplex with where you, for listeners, you live in one unit and then rent out the other unit to doing these large deals as a general partner and investing in syndications, either direction as a passive investor or as the general partner it can be scary. The passive investor, you're investing your money, you're giving up a lot of control and you're putting a lot of trust in the general partner. General partner, most of the time, you're fronting quite a bit of money to do these deals, depending on the type of deal you do. It could be into the hundreds of thousands of dollars until the deal is closed and you get you know reimbursed for most if not all of uh, of that money but until then you might be out all of that money if everything kind of goes south did you feel fear about doing that and if so how did you you know allay those fears in yourself and get past those things as you especially did those first couple of deals yeah, I think there was definitely a little bit of fear, you know, going going into the first one and kind of putting up putting up some risk like that. But also on the, on the other hand, I think my approach is, is always to you know analyze stuff very well and and kind of look at everything as a risk reward situation. And to me, like you know, the the reward outweighed the risk, and it is a good idea. And eventually, you just got to take to really create anything you know extraordinary. You have to take risk, and that's kind of my mindset on stuff is. You know, don't just don't just you know kind of take risk unnecessary. But if you weigh out the risk reward and you know you kind of weigh out all this all the options and it, and it makes sense, you know you just you have to take the risk. And if you know obviously it's, it's going to happen, there's you know there's going to be times when you lose money and stuff doesn't go to plan. But it's uh, if, as long as the everything I see on paper looks you know to to be right, I'm going to take the risk. Nice. Well, that that risk reward analysis can cut both ways, right? Maybe you you come up to the point where, hey, the the uh, reward outweighs the risk. I want to make sure I get that right. And hey, you go for it. Or on the other side, you can also get analysis paralysis or paralysis by analysis where you're constantly, maybe you're coming up there, oh, the risk is too great. I'm not going to go for it. And I'm just going to keep analyzing. I'm not going to take action. Did you feel that at any point and, and kind of get past it? Or is it you know, is it in your DNA that, hey, I'm going to be dispassionate once I find the reward that exceeds the risk, I'm going for it and I'm not going to worry about it too much. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think in the beginning, I definitely had, you know, some, some of the nails paralysis. We're kind of looking at deals like, yeah, it just seems kind of like too, you know, I don't think I could swing this or I don't think I'd be able to actually get this done. But I, I do think there's a fine line between like the analysis paralysis and then the just being too risky. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you kind of have to dial in like right between the two because you don't want to be just kind of throwing money, just, you know, just kind of just, you know, whipping the numbers around. Okay. You know, it's such a stick some risk here and assume this and that and it works. Let's go. And you also don't want to just be sitting there and, you know, weighing everything that, and because if, if you really, you know, you weigh out every single like thing to the nitty gritty, you're there's always be something that went in, in the deal that kind of might, might scare you a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's a fine line between being able to take a little bit of risk, but also weighing out all the analysis of it to make sure you're not taking like dumb risk. So yeah, I think that's a great question. It's kind of just what I find is you got to, you got to kind of go right between and, and figure out, you know, the sweet spot of, of, uh, of risk and the proper analysis. So I may be reading between the lines a little bit, uh, on this a little bit too much. Maybe not. You'll tell me if I'm right or wrong here. But a little bit earlier on, it sounded like you maybe alluded to 
a time in which uh, before you were a real estate investor, you have maybe were working on some other things to eventually lead you to you know this financial independence type of condition. If I'm right, and if I'm reading between the lines correctly, were you doing that? And if so, what were those things that ultimately didn't work out? Yeah, I think prior prior real. I mean, I, I never really got like super deep into anything prior than and in, in, in real estate. Um, never really started anything like that. Actually, scaled up to where I was generating income. It was more so just exploring. Like, try I was trying to think about starting a marketing firm. It was different stuff of more exploratory phases. And obviously, when I was really young, I probably started some stuff that didn't work out, but I really don't even remember <laughs> shoveling, shoveling yeah. driveways and all that. Maybe there was some days that didn't work out. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, I guess I, I never really had like experience prior to that where one of the things I started because I never really scaled up that quickly to, to see it not work. Um, it was more so just a lot of like exploratory to, to, to figure out if that's what I really wanted to do. Mm, okay. Well, that's, I mean, that can go both ways, right? Because you could have somebody who's constantly trying new things, getting really into it, and then a month later, jumping to the next thing and just getting constant shiny object syndrome. Yep. Or somebody's never really, I say, quote, built anything like that might feel like, um, that's just, I've never done it before. I don't think I can do it this time. That's obviously not the case. I mean, everybody starts somewhere, right? Yep. No, I totally agree. And yeah, I probably got a little bit of that in the beginning when I was kind of bouncing around with different ideas and you know, spending four or five months exploring this idea. Like, oh, this actually, this idea sounds better. Let's go over here. And finally, it was like, okay, this real estate thing, that, that's what clicked and was like, okay, this is where I'm going to go all in. Yeah. So you've mentioned a, a couple of times that your, you know, kind of specialty in this area is, and all, one of the values you provide in the business is analysis, underwriting, looking at deals, things like that. And, you know, that that is certainly, I think, a skill that can be learned and a competence that can be built over time. But you know, from from the way I take it from our conversation and the bit I know about you is, you know, that's not really where you came from. It's not what you did for a living before you got plugged into this. How did you build that competence and confidence? When I get my enunciation right, to you know, really start getting out there and and doing the deals and you know, presumably talking with brokers and things like that. So you can show others your underwriting and be confident that they're not going to look at it and say, no, this is ridiculous. I'm just going to, you know, ignore this guy. What was your experience there? Yeah. And you're totally right. I mean, yeah, I, I had some in my prior jobs, I had like some analyst roles. So I kind of I understood how to use Excel and like, you know, how to analyze certain things, but nothing with numbers. I never really worked in any roles where I was analyzing numbers. It was more so just trying to learn it. I mean, I started with, you know, re, you know, trying to read different books about it, listen, you know, videos on it. There really wasn't much material. I think there's more so now, but back then there's only much material I could find, like specifically about analyzing deals. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pieces things together. And the biggest thing for me was just going into a spreadsheet and pulling up a deal on LoopNet and just analyzing it and just practicing and figuring out, okay, this is the number that makes sense that, you know, this is the cash on cash return. Okay. Then that would that turn into a question that you'd go and look up. Okay, what is like a you know, the average investor expect on IRR, you know, and stuff like that, where you just kind of going back and forth and just learning, learning, the, learning, getting, getting your, you know, footsteps in. And that's really where I think I learned the most when it comes to analyzing deals and just doing that for six, literally just doing that for six months, I'd sit there for, you know, eight hours, just analyzing, you know, four or five deals. And that was, that's where I learned the most. And eventually that turned into the confidence, start talking with brokers and, you know, talking and say, Hey, yeah. And I looked at this deal and this, I'm thinking X, Y, and Z, you know, and that's really what started building the relationships with brokers. Um, I do think before a little side note, I think before you start really like talking with brokers, like in in lengthier conversations, 
understanding how the numbers work because it's definitely gonna a broker will quickly be able to tell experienced broker will quickly be able to tell if you know your stuff or not and if you don't know your stuff they're going to kind of just throw you off to the side if um and if you kind of show them you know what you're talking about it'll it'll it goes a long way it kind of kick kick starts your, your relationship with the brokers i think nice awesome well right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called ground floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Brock, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I am. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I would say spending time and money into networking has been has been huge for, for uh, scaling up. Nice. Super important in real estate. No matter what you want to do, you want to be an active or passive investor. You got to get out there. There are so many options, whether locally in most of the parts of the United States, there's probably a few networking events in your area or within an hour drive or so if you're in a more rural area Um, or online. There are a ton of options now. People adapted due to COVID, and I don't think that is going to go away. I think those things will remain. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Right now, it's looking like this office building we bought. Oh, geez. <laughs> right before COVID hit. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's actually, it, it's turned out. But yeah, I think uh, if I had to say so that, you know, it's still, still profitable and actually still working. But the uh, leasing office space right now has, has been proving to be a challenge. <laughs> I believe it. So... Um, what are some things that have you done? Have you been able to make any changes to that business model or how you're marketing it or anything like that to deal with that? You know, let's, let's be honest, unexpected change. I didn't expect COVID. Most people didn't expect COVID, right? So it's, yeah. What have you done? The, I would say being flexible as in we're a little bit more flexible on lease terms and, you know, kind of playing around with, you know, that sort of stuff and rates on leases. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of just attract tenants that way. Not necessarily, you know, before we would, you know, we had a firm stance on, you know, five-year lease terms, triple that, stuff like that. Now it's being a little bit more flexible, just trying to get them in the door and offering concessions and kind of retooling some of the spaces, you know, to, to draw in certain tenants. That's kind of in our play right now. 
Um, I, I do think office is going to bounce back a lot more than I think, I think there's a lot of opinion, opinions out there on whether it's going to bounce back or not. But I do think a lot more people are learning that being in the office is is a little bit more productive than the remote. I think it's I think the hybrid thing is here to stay for sure. But I do think a lot of office space is going to is going to come back. But I do think that's going to be like market dependent on you know locations and type of office space. I don't think there's going to be as, as much demand as there was before, for sure. But I, I do think there is going to be kind of some rebound to the office. Nice. Hopefully, too. <laughs> yeah, hopefully for your, for your case. <laughs> My favorite question here at the end of the show is, what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I would say just really sticking to sticking to the numbers uh, is kind of what, what I've learned. The, the numbers never lie. If you you know stay stay true to it and only kind of make offers and make decisions based off data and numbers has, has been the biggest thing I've learned is you know the, the data never really lies and, and there there is a lot to say about having you know gut gut feeling on on different things but to me like staying true to numbers and data has been the the biggest approach I've taken to to business. Nice. Nice. Well, Brock, thank you for joining us today. Congratulations on your uh, escaping of the rat race. That's awesome. Like I said, most people who want to achieve that through real estate don't achieve it within three years and you did. So that's fantastic. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, learn more about your syndication business, or I don't know, ask you questions about uh, networking or you know whatever, where can they find you? Yeah, so through the website um, at www.smartassetcapital.com, uh, we have some different ebooks and different kind of stuff on there, educational material and asset management stuff, how to build a meetup, stuff like that. That's a good resource. Through that contact form on there, that'll that'll ping me a message. My email is also brock at smartassetcapital.com. Um, so I can be reached there and yeah, feel free to reach out and let me know if any questions or if I can help in any way. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple podcasts. It's very much appreciated. Five stars. If you don't mind, that helps other people learn about the show. It helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. And if I'm being honest, it helps me feel good because I get to see that you guys are out there engaging with the content and learning alongside all of the rest of us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.